Hi, this is Devani Morgan, and you're listening to The Spirit of Now, Zeitgeist's podcast to introduce you to spiritual leaders, influencers, and wisdom figures within our community here of Atlanta and beyond. And so today we have Melanie Eyre from One World Spiritual Center and Rabbi Mitch Cohen, who will be presenting a workshop on the Gospel of Thomas at One World. So we just wanted to learn more about One World and what they have to offer and also a little bit more about the Gospel of Thomas. Uh, it sounds like something that I'm very much looking forward to. So Melanie and Mitch, welcome to the Spirit of Now. Thanks for Hello. having us. Yes. So Melanie, let me start with you. I'd love to learn more about One World. Um, I'm, I'm very happy to have learned a little bit about your community personally, but uh, there's something that I would want to share with our listeners. So can you tell us a little bit about your own spiritual journey and spiritual background and how you came to be in your leadership position at One World? Well, first off, Debbie, I want to thank you so much for having me on this wonderful podcast. I love listening to the Zeitgeist podcast, and I'm thrilled to be here with Mitch, who is well known to our One World audience. He's spoken there a number of times over the past years. And we look forward to having him again. And I'm also thrilled about this collaboration with Zeitgeist, and I look forward to future ones. So um, in answer to your question, One World is an interspiritual community. Uh, when we were meeting in person, we're in North Fulton. We've been online because of COVID for the past couple of years. Now we meet in person one Sunday a month, and the other Sundays we're online. But we are... Uh, just that, an interspiritual community. We learn from all the world's wisdom, from the world's enduring faith traditions. Our mission is this. Really, our mission is to help the non-traditional seeker find the sacred. And I love that mission because every word of it has meaning for me, uh, non-traditional mm -hmm. seeker finding the sacred. I'm going to say more about that a little later, but that is what we do in terms of my own spiritual journey. I think like a lot of people's, it's been, you know, you tend to think of your spiritual journey sometimes as a linear ascent up the mountain. And really what I have found in my own personal experience is more like, you know, you kind of start somewhere <laughs> up and back. I started life as an Episcopalian um, and stayed there until my early 20s. And like a lot of people, well, actually till my teens, you kind of step away because you get busy. I did not really resonate with some of the theology. In later years, I've come to understand it more, but it really did not, um, it, it did not make a lot of sense to me. Um, even though the one thing the Episcopal Church did for me, which was fabulous, is it gave me a sense of awe and beauty in the presence of the holy. Um, yeah, I didn't yeah. get a lot of judgment. There wasn't a whole lot of talk about sin. Um, I'm gay. It did not give me a, a, a negative feeling about that. So that was a gift, which I've carried into my later years. Um, then my wife and I started adopting kids when I was about 36. And so I wanted them to have a spiritual experience. So I became a Methodist and took them to Sunday school, whatever. And I started really to feel as though there was like a lot of people, probably a lot of people listening to this podcast. I started to feel that there was something that was there, but that I was not able to touch in the middle of that tradition. And the way I've always put it is I felt like there was a harmonic 
that was connecting all of us, one true note, if you will, that runs through all of creation and all of us. And I knew that that was what, that's how I felt it. And I've now told you everything I know about music, but I just thought there was that. And so I went to Google the repository of all knowledge. And I Googled (laughs) spirituality in North Fulton and I ended up at a unity church and that spoke to me for a, for a period of time. And then I joined one world spiritual center, which started as a group, which had left that unity church and started as an interfaith, inner spiritual community. So the long answer to your short question is I started out in a traditional house of worship and realized that there was for me, questions that were not finding answers there. So I started off on my own spiritual path and ended up um, at One World Spiritual Center where I've been since 2000, since 2011. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, your story really resonates. And, um, and I think that's why we're such uh, great partners with One World and Zeitgeist is we, we kind of share that mission of creating a, a, a safe and welcoming place for people who are, are seeking and, and looking to vibe with that harmonic, right? That's yeah. just such a wonderful way of describing that, you know? Yeah. Now I actually, you asked, and I didn't finish, I should have, I'm sorry. You asked about my leadership at One World. I became the spiritual director yeah. in 2015. We did have an original minister, Stephanie Sai who really got us started on our path and we are eternally grateful to her, but she left in 2014. And um, I had already started speaking. And so uh, we had about a year of scheduled speakers. And then in 2015, uh, the board asked me to be the spiritual director. And I, I so gratefully accepted. And I've been there since. It's been a wonderful journey. Mm, that's terrific. So you, you have already answered this a little bit, but I wanted to give you the opportunity to kind of uh, broaden that even more or deepen that a little more. What type of folks are in your community? Who, who feels at home at One World? That is, you know, that's such a fascinating question. I think One World attracts people or communities like One World and Zeitgeist, I count among them, attract people who are looking for a personal experience of the holy. I think of two doors, and this is not an image which is, which is original with me, but I don't know who came up with it. There's one door that says, learn about God. There's another door that says, God, which one do you go through? Those who are comfortable at One World go through the door that says, God, and they look for that mystical, and mysticism is surely a huge part of it. They look for that or they are looking for that direct experience of the holy, not just on Sundays, but throughout, throughout, their, throughout their day. I used to think that one world was only for those who had stepped away from non-traditional houses of worship. And it surely is that. We have quite a few um, folks who grew up Catholic, as well as folks who grew up um, in the Jewish tradition and in other traditions. And I used to think that was it, that One World was a place for you to craft your own individual journey using the wisdom from the world's enduring faith traditions and do it individually because your spiritual journey is always an individual journey, whether you're in a large community or not, but join right. together right. in community to share and to, and to 
and to pool your wisdom, if you will. But I have since come to realize that that is certainly true, and we have a good number of those. But I also think communities like One World and One World are a wonderful resource for those who remain in traditional houses of worship, because what it does is it gives you that exposure to all the world's wisdom, which you can then use to enhance your own journey. I think of the Catholic fathers who in the 50s went to India uh, because they wanted to convert. We're going to go convert all these folks who know nothing about Jesus. We're going to convert them to Catholicism. And they got there and it just blew their minds. They, they, use those traditions of the Sanatana Dharma to deepen their own spirituality, something they completely did not expect. And so they started the Shantivanam Ashram, which is a Benedictine ashram. And so what they did is in kind of in a syncretic way, they took those traditions and used them to enhance and deepen their own. So I think one world, I think one world has a call to anybody who wants to use the world's wisdom to deepen their own spiritual journey. Yeah. I, what a wonderful way to say that as you were talking, it was making me think of uh, something that Richard Rohr talks about and he calls it the, the, the three-legged stool. Um, but sometimes we talk about it as a, as a tricycle, but in any case the the foundations uh, in his, in his view, which I agree with are, to have some sort of tradition that you lean mm-hmm. into to have some sort of holy text or um you know uh, a consolidation of beliefs ideals etc and then to have a personal experience yes of the divine and so he, he laughingly says if you if you've got too much tradition but not the others then then you got the catholic church <laughs> if you've got too much holy writ but not a lot of the others you've got the protestants you know you've got people who know their bible back and forth but have you ever had an experience of god right yeah if you have too much of the personal experience without any tradition or any holy texts then you've got some sort of new age movements that are very much for the individual, but don't really have a, a necessarily any guide rails. And the wonderful thing about that is your tradition can be multiple. Yes. Your tradition can be Jewish and Vedanta and, you know, Protestant Christianity, right? It, it, you don't have to have solely one tradition. And the scripture can be also pluralistic, mm-hmm. you know, like I know we're all familiar with um, Rami Shapiro's world wisdom Bible. Like, let's take a look at the places where our holy words say the same thing, right? Yes. And then what, what I hear y'all adding and that we do too, is very much when we talk about the personal experience, we mean that in a mystical way. We mean mm-hmm as you said, walking through the door that says God, right? That learning about God is nice. And, you know, having friends that come to the same building on the same day of the week is nice, but that individual transcendent experience is the nicest. Yes. And what you are so right. And what that does, the, we ask ourselves, what is the purpose of all this? 
Well, if you study the perennial wisdom, the purpose is to understand that you can know God in this incarnation. And that's what it says in the Gospel of Thomas, the kingdom of of heaven is in you and around you. And that's one reason I'm so excited about this uh, workshop. But what it does is it leads you deeper into this life in a different way. You know, it's like Henry Nguyen said, the spiritual life does not take you further away. It leads you deeper into this life, into authentic engagement, into compassionate action, into showing up how we are meant to show up to each other. One of the things Richard Rohr did for me, which I love, is he helped me to understand the concept of the Trinity. Yes, because I because I never did, but he. Describes- we're going to have to hit Mitch to that too. We're going to we're going to sit down and talk Trinity one of these days. <laughs> yeah, he describes the Trinity as a circle dance mm-hmm. about God in relationship. It just blows my mind. So yeah. that yeah. is the goal to show up as the loving, compassionate, authentic, peaceful that we truly people that we truly are. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, you you touched on this, but let me circle back again. Um, and tell us why is the gospel of Thomas a good fit for one world? Yowza, that is a great question. And I'm going to defer to Mitch on most of that. But for me, one of the challenges I have had as a spiritual director of one world is we have people who come to one world who have been wounded by their early experience of religion. And so what they do is sometimes they look at the scripture and they say, I know that enough said, don't want to read it. It's full of judgment. It's full of rules. It's full of things that I don't need. And that that caused me pain. I love the scripture. I love it. All the scripture that all the scriptures that I can find that I can read because it is such a source of wisdom and comfort and strength and inspiration. And the gospel of Thomas is so profoundly that the the secret Mm -hmm. sayings of Jesus, it's Mm -hmm. a way to familiarize people with the scripture canonical or not that can inspire and support them and lead them in directions which further their own growth. So one of my goals and this seminar will more than promote that is to just to show people the richness and the beauty of scripture for their lives right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's terrific. Well, with that, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to, we'll swing over to Mitch for a minute. And so Mitch, same question that I had asked Melanie is tell us a little bit about your spiritual background and how you came to be interested in the gospel of Thomas. I I think I just want to sit here and listen to Melanie talk. I mean, she opens her mouth and it's amazing what comes out. Um, It's very true. So spiritual journey. So I was born Jewish and was raised uh, traditionally Jewish, which means, you know, went to a synagogue with four hour services on Saturdays, mostly in Hebrew. Um, Although at home we did nothing, you know, it was always sort of just follow the rule book. And by age 15, I had had enough of all that and basically fired religion and fired God. So I wasn't atheist. I would say agnostic. Didn't know what it was, but I knew there was something. And it was when I graduated college that I had my first existential crisis or what Carl Jung calls a disruption. And that was a visit of generalized anxiety and mild depression that I had never had before. 
that lasted about six to eight weeks. And what it actually was, was the call of my soul to start dealing with the stuff I hadn't dealt with before. And that led me to a book by Leo Buscalia called Personhood. And in that book, uh, Leo Buscalia said that every self-actualized person, which Jung would say integrated person, um, has a very strong spiritual core. And he did all of these descriptions of world religions. And I found myself really drawn to the mystical traditions. He, uh, his description of Buddhism, Taoism, Shintoism, Hinduism really piqued my, my curiosity. But then his description of Judaism was nothing I had ever heard growing up. And that was social action. Um, that was unity of all people. Um, you know, that was uh, taking care of the environment. It was music. It was chanting. And that led me on my first re-exploration back into Judaism. But nice. it still took me about 10 years. And 10 years later, after this, like, toe in the water of re-exploring, um, I discovered Kabbalah, or Jewish mysticism. And that tied it. I remember how excited I was. I came home and told my wife, unbelievable. I finally found the bridge between everything. And I read a little bit about Gnostic Christianity at the time, too. So it, it was like the oneness of it all. So that was sort of the next phase of my spiritual journey was really immersing myself in Reform Judaism or Progressive Judaism. Um, and then continue to do that, continue to study Kabbalah, or you know, Kabbalah, it's, it's the same thing. And started teaching classes on Kabbalah and other classes I started teaching. And all of it led to, same thing, meditation practices, mystical experiences. And that lasted about 20 years. And then the next big event was the tragic, unexpected death of my wife. And when that happened, I fired God for the second time. And about six weeks after, I got a call by the husband of a rabbi who I knew. And he says, Mitch, I just get the sense that you might be interested in this. I I'm looking to start a book club around this book called Non-Dual Judaism, uh, a radical, I'm sorry, the title is God is Everything and Everywhere, Colin, A Radical Path to Non-Dual Judaism. That's mm -hmm. like, I don't know what non-dual Judaism is. So I read the book, couldn't put it down, and that changed my life. I rehired God, but differently. <laughs> at, at the same time, I you realized- You rewrote the job description. Yeah. Exactly. At the same time, I also had to come to terms with that you know, the sudden death of my wife was not caused by God, it was not punishment, and it couldn't be prevented by God. You know, Because as a Jewish educator at the time, and a synagogue leader at the time, I wasn't yet ordained, um, you know, I fell into that camp that you know, Jewish karma, you do good things in the world, you know, good things, good energy comes back. And my wife was wonderful. And, and then this happens. So non-dualism let me take God off the hook and start looking at God and everything and everywhere to Melanie's point. Yeah. And uh, it just continued from there. Then I discovered Rami Shapiro and uh, his book, Perennial Wisdom for the Spiritually Independent. And that again opened up a new avenue, but in the same direction I was heading. It was at that time that 
I was asked to do a funeral for a student of mine who was a lapsed Catholic. And as I was leaving the cemetery, I realized that there were a lot of people out there who had left their traditional religions, but had life cycle events that they wanted um, supported, weddings, funerals, baby namings. And so at age 52, I went to rabbinical school and um, I was ordained in 2010. Then in 2018, I believe it was, no, 2017, the next big spiritual experience of my life was meeting uh, Debony Morgan. <laughs> Pandering. <laughs> no, it's true. We were having coffee. Uh, Steve Gold connected us and said, you got to meet this woman. You know, I think you, you and she would really, you know, connect. And we did. And that's when you suggested... Um, or, or offered this thought that you had about creating a spiritual direction school. Now, at the time, I was in an organization called the Neshama Interfaith Center with two Catholic spiritual directors. And I talked to them about it. Um, and, you know, I just wasn't, I couldn't find a program that I felt would fit. There was a Jewish spiritual direction program up in, um, I think it's in uh, Philadelphia, but, you know, I didn't want to travel. And here you were literally answering a, a, an unspoken prayer for an opportunity to the next phase of my life um, to do spiritual direction with people of all faith traditions. And if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong. I think I was the first to sign up for the first year. You were, you were uh, the first student ever at ZG. Right. I immediately wrote the check, immediately applied. Uh, it's like, I'm in. And so that got me really fired up and excited, which led to the next interesting chapter of walking away from the synagogue. So I'd been leading a congregation for 17 years and realized that the liturgy and the beliefs, even, even a, a synagogue really based around the reform uh, Jewish movement, just wasn't working. I, I wasn't being authentic to, to the congregants. You know, if I wasn't believing it, if it wasn't really connecting with me, how could I be there for them? And so I, I left the synagogue. I walked off and I was inspired by somebody in our couple wisdom group who's a minister and said he had a colleague that got up on the pulpit one Sunday, looked out to the congregation and said, I can't do this anymore and walked off the pulpit and out the door. I at least gave my congregation 10 months notice. But it was similar, the same thing. I just can't do this anymore. So the, you know, the rest of my journey has been really immersed in perennial wisdom, in uh, supporting people as a spiritual director, um, and also as a, as a life coach in certain areas, um, apart from spiritual direction, and a grief counselor. And that is my spiritual journey now. Yeah, that's amazing. So how did you come to appreciate and educate yourself regarding the Gospel of Thomas? So I mentioned earlier that I had heard of Gnostic Christianity, and it had always fascinated me. Did a little bit and of research. Mitch, let's, let's, yeah, let's assume that a lot of our listeners might not be familiar with that. So just say yeah. a little bit so we know what you're referring to. Okay. So, the, so I was really drawn to Gnostic Christianity, and and in my early research, you know, they were basically a group of mystical Christians um, that were a small minority. Uh, and this is going back probably, 
I guess about 1700 years ago. And uh, unfortunately, the early church sort of poo-pooed them out of the way, but there was a small group that existed in Syria and Iraq area, and they carried it forward. Then in 1945, 51 volumes were discovered in Egypt called the Nag Hammadi. And one of those texts was the Gospel of Thomas. So I got curious. I want to take a step back. So there's also a source. There's there's a narrative tradition in Christianity, but there's not really a name for it. But they gave it the word Q, and that's from a German word for source. And it reminded me of the Talmud, which is the written down oral tradition in Judaism, right? Which is commentary on the written word of the Torah or the rest of the Hebrew Bible. So that piqued my interest. Wow, Christianity may have had a narrative tradition. And it likely informed some of the writing of the traditional gospels. But Gospel of Thomas, first time I read it, it it just blew me out of the water. Because it is narrative. There's 144 texts. It's Jesus speaking. And he's not speaking, you know, uh, teaching speaking. He's speaking in parable and aphorisms and beautiful little, little sharings that make the listener explore the inner meaning. Now, as a Kabbalist who sees everything mystically in text, who looks at the white space between the black letters of every religious text, um, I just loved it. The very first text in Gospel of Thomas, you know, those who, I'm going to paraphrase, those who follow this, these teachings will not experience death. So, you know, you read it literally, it's like, what the hell does that mean? Am I going to die if I don't read this? No. What it means is when you go in deep and look for the psycho-spiritual meaning of these teachings, they will allow you to integrate parts that you hadn't owned yet that were literally killing us or, you know, killing each individual, you know, whether it's shadow parts, whether it's wounded parts, doesn't matter what it is, but bringing that into awareness and owning it gives us life. And all these other texts are, are written that way. Little ways to explore, you know, Melanie shared a text that spoke to her. Um, so I just, I'm just so fascinated by the gospel of Thomas. There's a percent. You talked about the Trinity there. There are a group within the Gnostic Christian movement who don't believe in the resurrection and also don't believe in the Trinity. What they do believe in is Jesus being, which I have always said that there are the two most enlightened human beings that ever walked the face of the earth were Buddha and Jesus. And I didn't realize that there are Gnostics who believe that too, at least about Jesus. So for a Jew, for the first time to be able to study something about Jesus as a human being, you're not being confronted with the uh, incarnation of of God, which is very much opposed to any teaching in Judaism. That's really the only difference that Jews have with Christians, is we don't deny that Jesus existed. We don't deny that he was enlightened. We don't deny that he was a 
scholar of Torah and the oral tradition. You know, because Matthew 5 is basic Jewish ethics. But we've always had a problem with Jesus being God incarnated. It's just not in our understanding of the text about the Messiah um, or the Messianic age or God's presence. But the Gospel of Thomas presents Jesus as saying, we are all God. We are all God. Everything is God. Again, back to that book. God is everywhere and everything. A radical path to non-dual Judaism. Well, Gospel yeah, of Thomas. And panentheism. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And Gospel of Thomas is that. So before I was very much encouraging you to assume that our, our listeners don't know a lot about the Coptic tests or whatever, but now I'm going to ask a nerdy question. It sounds like you are in the camp of, of thinking of Thomas as being proto-Gnostic. I do. Okay. I do. Yeah. Cause some people, some people believe it's, it's not. And some people believe it is. So it, it sounds like, okay. So that you're, you're seeing that as part of the, what grew, grew into the, the Gnostic. Right. Right. And yeah. the, the truth is, we don't know. Right. So, right. I, you know, mysticism is all about sitting with the mystery uh, and being okay with not knowing. The truth yeah. is, the Gospel of Thomas couldn't have been written in 1944. Right. And just happened to be found in 1945. We don't know. But what it has to offer in those 144 texts is just amazing. Well, and, and you've, uh, you've already answered this somewhat, but let me ask you again, um, what might we find there that is different than the canonical gospels, meaning those that are in what we call the Christian Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Sure. I think there's two big things. Number, number one is that rather than referring to the kingdom of God, heaven, the Gospel of Thomas uses the phrase, the realm of God, which is here in the present. And that everything, in fact, all of these texts are about life in the here and now present. Number two, you can completely take out the book of Revelations. There's no judgment. There's no end of days. There's no punishment. You know, that's why I jokingly say, you know, if you want to learn about Kabbalah or Buddhism, read the Gospel of Thomas. Um, because, you know, the spiritual path of wisdom does not point out there. In the in Gospel of Thomas, the spiritual path of wisdom points right to the heart. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Well, and again, it sounds like you've already answered this question, but if you want to expand, like, for spiritually independent people why is this gospel important? And, and, you know, just to repeat back what you had just said, you know, if you want to learn about Buddhism, it, it, gospel of Thomas, if you want to know about Kabbalah, it's there. Um, if you want to learn more about Jesus, it's there. Um, I would say for people that are spiritually independent that uh, have rejected or never bought into literal interpretations of any biblical text or any um, holy text, because the Quran is not the Bible. And, um, you know, Bhagavad Gita is not the Bible. But let's say holy texts, sacred texts, and they just 
have a hard time with literal meanings. The, the Gospel of Thomas offers a way to look at it psycho-spiritually. Big fancy word for how does this speak to the human condition? How does this help me evolve my, myself uh, spiritually and psychologically? And I think when we look at the text that way, and this is what we're going to, this is the whole premise of what I'm going to do. Uh, this isn't going to be really a teaching. This is going to be about 15 minutes of introduction to the Gnostic text and the whole rest of the time sharing texts with participants and working through and uh, conversing uh, from everybody's point of view, how it speaks to them. Wow. I love that. I love that. So yeah, both of you, um, can you tell us more about the event? Like how, how do I, how do I make sure I'm there for this to learn more about the gospel of Thomas? Um, let me just jump in and say, we've now had five minutes of why this is going to be such a fabulous event. I mean, we are so thrilled when Mitch speaks because he brings scholarship and wisdom and insight and breadth. So mm -hmm. I'm so I'm so happy that Mitch is going to be the one leading us through the Gospel of Thomas. It's going to be April 23rd. Um, it's going to be Saturday for three hours, Mitch. Is that correct? I think it's you had scheduled it yes. for three hours. We're going mm -hmm. to put up um, a link on our website. It's not there yet, so it'll be there soon. OneWorldSpiritualCenter.net to register. Um, Zeitgeist is going to promote it as well. It's going to be a, sure. Zoom, a Zoom event, so you can join from anywhere in your pajamas, whatever. <laughs> just tune in. That's not a requirement, but just tune in <laughs> and learn about the gospel of Thomas. And let me just say one other thing. What is so exciting to me about the gospel of Thomas, because I think of it kind of as a Christian koan, you know, mm -hmm. there, you, you can't read it. It's not like a narrative. Jesus went in and said these three things and, you know, it's, it, it, it doesn't immediately, some of the sayings don't immediately make sense. It, it invites you, it almost requires you to sit with it and let it penetrate into your own heart. Eknath Eshwaran, the Hindu uh, scholar, has a, had a practice called passage meditation. And it's sort of like Lectio Divina, is you sit with the text and just let it sink in. And then insights will come to you understandings will come to you that are not immediately apparent. And the way the gospel of Thomas is crafted, it invites that because when you first read it, just like Mitch said, it's like, what the heck does that mean? Got to sit with it. Yeah. Yeah. And so of course I'm going to put all of that information in the show notes. So people will have access to that when they listen to the pod. And, uh, you know, I might even put uh, a piece in the show notes about uh, Cynthia Bergeau's book, the wisdom mm -hmm. Jesus, because yeah. she really uh, goes into detail about Jesus as a wisdom teacher and, you know, which really validates the Coptic gospels as well, right? That there's, there's more to Jesus than we find in the Christian Bible. And, uh, and it's more fascinating than we have typically heard in church, right? So um, that might be a fun exploration for people as well. Well, guys, any closing comments that uh, that we want to make sure we give you the opportunity to share? Yeah, I'd like to just say one thing for people that are listening that are curious, but they're uncomfortable. And, Great. you know, yeah. I want to I want to target mostly people of my own faith tradition, Judaism. So I know that 
Jews have had a really hard time with Jesus and Christianity, not because we don't think Jesus didn't exist and we don't think that Christianity is a wonderful tradition. It's, you know, legacy trauma from 2000 years of persecutions and killings by the church. And that doesn't blame every Christian. So I'm not saying that. What I'm going to ask Jewish listeners is to set that aside, ask that traumatic response in you is how can I take this class about Jesus? And just ask that to step back and observe. And then you just step in with an open mind of listening to a highly enlightened wisdom teacher. And if you come to it that way, this will enhance your Judaism because everything Jesus taught was as a Jew because he was a Jew and he can't be blamed for what happened 200 years after his death and for the next 1800 years. It's not his fault. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, I I would say that same goes for uh, Christian people as well. Exactly. I'm sorry, Melanie, go ahead. No, I was, you're exactly right. I mean, you, you are so right. I would just echo as a closing comment. I would just echo what Mitch said for those who are uncomfortable with even thinking of non-canonical writings or any Holy scripture outside the Christian Bible. um, Just God invites us to so much more. You know, all you got to do is look out your window or look at your fingers and toes or look at anything and just realize that God invites us to all of it. And this is part of it. Just put aside whatever hesitation you have and just step into the beauty and the mystery of these wisdom teachings. Um, Mm. Give just give your heart the opportunity to open. And I think you'll be very glad that you did. And I am so grateful to you, Debony. And you, Mitch, for this time together. Thank you so much. And I'm so grateful to Zeitgeist. I wish I had a shirt. I'd have worn it. <laughs> well, uh, I think we can uh, we can manage that, Melanie. Yeah. <laughs> I think we can uh, we can make that happen. Uh, well, that was a wonderful, wonderful way to close. And so I'll just end by saying, uh, check the Zeitgeist website, and uh, we'll also include links once that's available on the One World website. And we look forward to gathering together to listen to Mitch teach. So thanks again to both of you for joining us here today. And we'll look forward to seeing you again very soon. And thank you. Thank you, thank you everyone. And Melanie, take care. You too, Mitch. Good to see you. Take care. Thank you so much, Debony. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, this is Rabbi Mitch Cohen. I'd like to invite you to the Zeitgeist Atlanta Silent Meditation Retreat, November 16th through 20th. More information, go to our website, at zgatlanta.org. Hope to see you there, but not hear you there.